Our Lord Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all the truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your help now, that you will guide our thoughts and stretch our hearts and our imaginations so we we see, we embrace, we receive the truth. And lead us too into such faith and obedience towards our Lord Jesus that we live in the joy and peace which he promises to those who abide in him and keep his words. Amen. Amen. Last week we established from scripture that God has always been king. He made, when he made creation, he ruled over it and uh, he, that was his kingdom. And he, that he's appointed his son to reign from Jesus' first coming through to his return when he completes his kingdom among men. And his kingdom is not just heavenly, spiritual, personal or mystical, nor only in the future. It's very real. He reigns now and by his goodness and power changes people and changes situations. He continues through his gospel and through his church to bring freedom to men and women from bondage, from demonic oppression, from disease, from sin. What the Lord Jesus did in just three and a half years of public ministry, he continues to do today through his church. And the extension of Jesus' ministry through his church is also the extension, the increase of his kingdom. When he healed people or drove out demons, he said that those things demonstrated God's kingdom had come and was at work. And the same kingdom of God continues now. When did his kingdom start? Well, God's always been king, but the Father has appointed Jesus to reign now over his kingdom. Jesus began to reign certainly from the time of his resurrection and ascension. The words of Matthew 28 the Great Commission are very familiar to us, but really, we still need to listen to them and get this. All right. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. There's honest, as they say in Wales, isn't it? There's honest. They worshipped him, but some were still doubting. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, get this, all authority in heaven and on earth, is being given to me. Does that leave any authority that doesn't belong to Jesus? No. Absolute rule. Absolute kingdom. The Father has given, implied in that, the Father has given it to him. The Father has stepped back in a sense and said, the Son, worship him, honour him, obey him. He's appointed to rule. Therefore, go... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to keep, to do all that I commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. The kingdom of God rests on his shoulders or in his hands. The age of Messiah's reign has come. Jesus reigns through this age until the end of the age. And he promises that he will be with us to the end of the age. Let's think about a phrase that comes up in the Bible a few times. The last days. The last days. That phrase had a meaning even before Jesus came. The Jewish people, led by their rabbis, called the coming reign of Messiah the last days. When Messiah came, his reign would be the last days. The last age of the world of men in this earth. 
Joel prophesied that the Lord would pour out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, all humanity, when? In the last days. It happened shortly after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, didn't it? Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, this is what the prophet Joel said, in the last days I will pour out almost on flesh, or my spirit upon all flesh. In other words, Peter is saying, we're here, it's happened. We are in the reign of Messiah. And by the way, that's the same one you crucified. Bold preaching from Peter. So since the resurrection of Jesus, followed by the outpouring of the Spirit and the release of the gospel to all nations, we have been living in the last days. Now I know many of you have only heard that phrase in a futuristic, predictive way. Well, the last days are coming, you know. It's going to be terrible times in the last days. The last days are the period between the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming. The whole period. The whole time. That's the way the Bible uses those words. Scripture clearly states that the last days started with the resurrection of Jesus and is being invested with all power. Now, the Jewish people had a mix of Old Testament prophecies and other myths and legends about the reign of Messiah. It was going to be like this. It was going to be like that. And in fact, what they did was they mixed up some scriptures which are prophesying things that can only happen in the eternal age when, when humanity, when redeemed humanity, are renewed and the earth is renewed. They are pictures of that time and they were mixing that back in to prophecies that were clearly about the reign of Jesus, the Messiah. So there's a mixture of these things. And by the way, Paul warns us, writing to Titus, to beware not to pay attention to Jewish myths and legends. Right? Yeah. So from the earliest days of the church, the church, the Peter, the, all the others, were having to work out, examine scripture, listen to the spirit about what the last days were really about. How did the reign of Jesus really look, the Messiah? It wasn't clearly everything that the rabbis had said. If we're living in the last days, if we're living in the kingdom of Jesus, well, it's not quite the way we, to- we were told it was going to be. So, Paul writes to Titus, realize this, to Timothy, sorry, that in the last days, difficult times will come. That's not way off in the future, Timothy. I'll tell you now, but it doesn't bother you, because it's gonna, not going to happen in your lifetime. Do you get it? Yeah. He's saying something to Timothy that is going to happen right then. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and so on. All right? They will be uh, lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless. All of that was happening. What Paul is saying, we've got to understand, this, this, it doesn't mean that this, because this is happening, we're not in the last days. This is part of being in the last days, in the reign of Jesus. This doesn't change the truth that Jesus is reigning. And Peter 2, in Peter, what, 2 Peter 3 verse 3, I read it to you a minute ago. Let me read it longer here. This now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind, by way of reminder, you need to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord as Saviour spoken by his apostles. All right? So, Let's get into it, he said. I'm going to explain to you some things that are in those prophecies, right? Know this, first of all, that in the last days, the reign of Jesus 
Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Again, Peter is not making a prediction way off in the future. He's saying that was happening then, it's going to happen, get ready for it, because this does not change the truth that Jesus is reigning. We've got to learn to live with that's true as well. The opposition, the, 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 uh, the, the, fear, the ferocity of, of, of godless philosophies and people. So even the letter of Hebrews and James address people as them living in the last days, upon whom the last days have come, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. They were living in the last days. Another phrase in the Bible is that one, the end or ends of the ages. And again, when we find that phrase, the Bible is not pointing to some far-off future. 2,000 plus years ahead, our time or beyond. It's saying that the people who lived around the time of the Lord Jesus were living through the close off of one age and the beginning of another. The age of Moses and the law was passing away. The age of Jesus Messiah had come, but they crossed over and they were living literally in the crossover of the ages. The ends, plural, of the ages. Temple-based worship in Jerusalem was being put away. How do we worship God now? Anywhere, everywhere, by the Spirit and in the truth. Yeah, New age has come. Kingdom of Jesus. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So every nation can yield up a harvest of people who love Christ and worship Him by the Spirit. How does Messiah rule? I've been hitting this button three times before I got to it. How does Messiah rule? Is this, if this reign of Messiah is not what the, the Jewish rabbis had been predicting, what is it? That was, if I may suggest, my imagination, that it vexed the disciples for a while. We've got to figure this out. It's not what they told it was going to be, but, but did Jesus tell us about this? Or did the, did the Old Testament tell us about this? And here are two scriptures that became absolutely foundational to the first disciples, the first Christians, understanding how to live in the kingdom of Jesus when it isn't as you were told it was going to be. How the rabbis had painted it. First one is Psalm 2. Oh, that's far too small for you to read. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, literally Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. But, I'm putting a but in, it's not there. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. It's nice to think of God having a good belly laugh, isn't it? The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. In other words, I've given the kingdom to my son. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. So it turns back to the kings of the earth who are conspiring against him. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judge of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun. Literally kiss the sun, so that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Right? 
Whatever's happening, I have installed my son as king. And you who oppose that, and you who resist that, you watch out. Because one day his fury will be released against you. Great time, isn't it? The other one is Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 1 and 2, is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. The most quoted verse from the Old Testament brought over into the New Testament is this. Psalm 101 and 2. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Oh, please, Lord, yes. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the Jew. I'm not going to preach all of this. I'm going. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And here's what we pick up in Hebrews in the autumn. The Lord has sworn, will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus Messiah is both king and high priest. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will bring from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. But those verses at the beginning of that chapter are, as I said, the most repeated verse from the Old Testament brought over into the New. And I believe that they are deliberately repeated by the intention of the Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture. We should understand that the kingdom of Jesus advances and his enemies bow one after another until the process is finished. We have that phrase at the end of verse 2. We need to have it burned into our memories, into our hearts. It's a foundation for us in understanding how Jesus reigns and therefore what life and obedience to Jesus is like for us. All right? What is it saying to us? Jesus rules in the midst of his enemies. Not without opposition, not without trouble, but even through it, he rules. He rules despite opposition and mixture and trouble. Just to finish this off here, the last days will have a last day. That is the last day of this age, the completion of Jesus' reign. It's the day of resurrection and the day of judgment. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, famous passage. It's about the resurrection. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man, Adam, came death, by a man also, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, Christ is the first fruits, it's not Christ, comma, then first fruits, it's Christ is the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end. Straight away. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For, listen, can you hear Psalm 110 verse 1 and 2 here? For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he, God the Father, is accepted from who put all things in subjection to Jesus the Son. When all things are subjected to him, to Christ, then the Son himself also will 
sub- be subjected or submit himself to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. The kingdom will be completed. Jesus will present his kingdom to the back of the Father as a finished task. But it's finished through a process of struggle, of battle, of warfare. He will have defeated all his enemies. Finally, all sin and evil will be put to destruction. And he will remake heaven and earth in perfection and glory and us believers too because that will be our eternal home with our Father and our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So guess what? If Jesus is a warrior king, and that's why I read that for now as well, if Jesus is our warrior king, what does that make us? It makes us warriors yes. too. Amen. All right? So when you read in Revelation, he's made us to be a nation of kings and priests. And when Jesus repeatedly offers out this promise to him who overcomes, guess what? That's us. We're in a fight too. But it's Jesus who's our conquering warrior hero. We are in fights of faith. In fact, history and experience teaches us that every significant advance of the kingdom of Jesus is contested. It's resisted. Did we think that reigning in life was lying on the telly watching football having a nice drink? For the men. I don't know what you... Sewing bee. No, whatever. Food pro. No, we learn to become like him as a warrior king through struggle and overcoming. That's how we become like him. He rewards overcomers. So thank God you've got a few things to overcome. Did you hear that? Thank God you've got some things to overcome because you are becoming an overcomer in dealing with them. Jesus reigns in the midst of trouble and difficulties. Well, a few obvious questions. See, I need to answer the obvious questions. What about the millennium? Well, I don't believe there will be a literal thousand-year reign to come. I believe that Revelation 20 is about the period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. When did Jesus bind Satan? At the cross. By his life and death and resurrection. But specifically, it says in Colossians, at the cross. And the problem is that Jewish expectations about the reign of Jesus have now got pushed forward into this millennium to come. So Jesus kind of only, only sort of reigns now. He'll really reign then. I don't buy that. I don't accept that. And some Old Testament prophecies are about a renewed earth in the eternal age, not about some millennial reign. Um, nature will only be renewed. You know, the lion will lie down with the lamb and so on. That will only happen in a new heaven and a new earth. It's not this side of the last day. Right? The reign of Jesus will, in the eternal age, be over a renewed and perfected world. But it's now over a world which is still messed up, full of sin and fallenness. And even in the course of nature there is fallenness. I believe Revelation 20 is a retelling of this reign of Jesus from his first coming to his second coming. The thousand years is symbolic. We've already clocked up nearly 2,000 already. But even Revelation contains this warning that at the end of the reign of Jesus in this age, there will be a time of great rebellion. Right? Remember that Gog and Magog begin to you know, come? Gog and Magog, by the way, is just a Hebrew way of saying prince and people. It's nothing to do with whether it's Russia or this or that. It just means prince and people. It comes from Ezekiel. Prince and people. That's what it means. It means the rulers and the population of, of nations will be pushing against the church and the gospel and the knowledge of God. We see some signs of that happening. So there will be a time of trouble before the end, but it's not the tribulation as you've heard it. 
Second question, what about the rapture, David? What about the rapture? So-and-so told me about it. I've watched the movie. I even had a dream, or I heard so-and-so had a dream. So, come on, there's got to be a rapture. You mean that invisible and secret return of Jesus to snatch away the church, leaving unbelieving people on the world to continue for a while? Makes for a good movie, doesn't it? But let me tell you plainly, it's not what Bible teaches. No one had heard of that idea until the 1800s. It was unknown throughout 18 centuries of church history until someone invented the idea in the 1800s. Millennium has been an argument going on in the church all the time. But the rapture theory came in in the early 1800s. Let me headline what the Bible says about this, particularly the teaching of Jesus. Listen, teaching of Jesus, most important parts of the scripture. That's why a long time ago I got over my prejudice and I love red letter Bibles because they remind me, hey, this is Jesus. Listen. Listen up, David. (laughs) Slow down. Read it carefully. Wheat and tares. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. I'm going to do this some with you. Uh, I've put this, but not the explanation. Jesus presented another parable to them, one of his stories, his teaching stories, and said, the kingdom of heaven, same as the kingdom of God, it's one kingdom, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares, weeds, among the wheat. Now the thing is, they look a bit like wheat, until they get mature, and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and, and bore grain, the tares became obvious, because the grain makes them obvious. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, you you sowed good seed in your field. How did we get all these weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Well, shall we go and pull them up and gather them in? He said, No. For while you're gathering up the weeds, you will uproot the the wheat as well. (laughs) Allow both to grow together until the harvest. In the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, Now listen to this. First, gather the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them up. Then gather the wheat into the barn. And in Matthew 13, it goes down further in the chapter, the explanation. And Jesus said, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. At the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me just explain this to you, put this very plainly. What we've just read there is exactly the opposite of a secret rapture theory. The angels come and take out of his kingdom everything that is evil. And what remains is the righteous. Isn't that the opposite of what some people have said for all this time? It's exactly the opposite. give you another one further in the same chapter. Good fish and bad fish. I'm not asking what what you had for takeaway on Friday night. Good fish and bad fish. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. And Jesus explains it straight away. So it will be at the when? The end of the age. Last day. The angels will come forth and listen to it. Listen to Jesus. 
and take out the wicked from among the righteous. It's the opposite of a secret rapture, folks. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right? Another one is the sheep from the goats. Jesus says the goats and the sheep are separated by Jesus when he sits in his glory, on his glorious throne, in his kingdom. The sheep inherit the kingdom. The goats will be sent to eternal fire. The separation to eternal punishment is one time, or to glory is at one time, one day. And as you've heard me say many times when we went through John's Gospel, repeatedly in John chapter 6 and then further on, uh, Mary reflects it back in John 11. Jesus said, I will raise him up. The one who believes in me, the one who, the one who trusts me. I will raise him up. I, put my, I got my name in there, okay? On that one. I will raise him up on the last day. Not the last day minus seven years, three and a half years, whatever else. The last day. I believe in the last day resurrection, the last day judgment day. All right? Because it's so clear in Scripture, but we've been sold this, story, this fairy tale, this Disney thing, movie thing, of suddenly aircraft fly out of the sky because the pilot was a born again Christian. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. He also states that those who reject him in his words will be punished on the last day. The end of the ages. To come back to Matthew 28. The Lord Jesus promised to be with us until the end of the age. Until the last day of his age of reigning in the midst of his enemies. The church is here. You, you, you and I may not be here. We may, be, you know, we may have gone to our rest before that day. But there's no way out of this kingdom of Jesus advancing against his enemies until he calls it, closes it down on the last day. And he promises he'll be with us to the end of the age, the last day. What about the one will be taken and another left? Oh, come on, David, you've, you haven't done with that one. One will be taken and another left. Well, we better read it. Let's go to Matthew 24. But of that day... This is the return of Jesus, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving you marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Let me just explain that to you a minute. I used to hear preachers say, that were these terrible people, wretched people. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving you marriage. And I think, what's wrong with eating and drinking and marrying? There's nothing wicked about it. There's just normal life. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. They were carrying on with normal life, planning for the future, planning their wedding, planning to have their family, and guess what? Suddenly, destruction came. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they didn't understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Now listen, we just read, the flood took the wicked away. Right? One will be taken, another will be left. Is The wicked get taken away, the righteous get left. And so it was in the 1860s when the Roman army came down through Israel and surrounded Jerusalem. March by march, they were killing people, taking people as slaves, and some were being left. Taken is bad news. Being left means you're saved. 
But you've heard it the wrong way round for decades because they haven't paid attention to the text, to the context of Scripture, what Jesus is actually saying. All right? What about those verses in Thessalonians? Well, let me deal with those quickly. I'm going to, I haven't put them up there. I'm going to read them to you. Anyway, it says, we're going to be caught away. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right? Let me read it to you. We do not want you to be informed, brothers, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall and asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, one coming, whenever it is, will not get ahead, precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend secretly, with no one knowing that it's happened. Is that what he says? Let me read it to you. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout! I I have to have a little bit of fun sometimes. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is far from secret. That's very noisy. <laughs> then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The very next verses go on to say, Now as to the times and the ages, brothers, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord... What's he just been talking about? Us being taken away into, into the presence of Jesus, transformed by resurrection. And what does he say straight away, straight afterwards? The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, like they did in Noah's time, destruction will come upon them suddenly like a labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness that, that that day will overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. And the second letter of Thessalonians is parallel to this. 2 Thessalonians 1. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, When? When is this going to be? When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. When do we get to be glorified in him? On the same day that he's wreaking vengeance on his enemies. On the same day. And to be marveled at in all who have believed. Jesus is not coming secretly, but openly, publicly, noisily, ferociously on the last day. On that day he'll be glorified in his saints. On that day he'll deal out retribution on his enemies. On that day this age will end, the eternal age will begin. A new heaven and a new earth will be formed to be our eternal home as the sons of God. So the idea that Christians will be beamed out of the world like they used to do on Star Trek before any big trouble kicks off is not biblical. We are here until either our personal death or until the last day. And Jesus promises that he will be with us to the end of the age, implying whatever happens, he's with us to the end. We're going to persevere and endure every hardship and trouble until the day when Jesus is with us. Our warrior king is leading us to that day. You see, a secret rapture before the end of the age is not what the Bible teaches, but wrapped into that myth, that story that's been around since the 1830s or so, is this. If trouble comes, won't touch us. We'll be long gone. Now the problem with that myth is this. When trouble hits, you are dreadfully disappointed and discouraged. 
because you thought won't be won't be for me, won't be for us. And yet Jesus has warned us that we are here to endure through the troubles. Be they big ones or small ones. Be they the end of the age ones or the ones that we're going through right now. We, we won't know, really, because we won't know the day of the year. That's a dangerous expectation because you will be bitterly disappointed when that trouble does hit and you think, why am I still here? His disciples went around strengthening the churches of God, Acts 14.22, saying to the Christians, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now if you preach that nowadays, people think you're crazy. That we enter the kingdom of God through troubles. We go through them to inherit. Uh, The JWs were around in Central Harlow this week. Uh, I was tempted to go and have a little bit of, you know, I didn't. (laughs) They give the impression, don't they, of being so clear and certain on what the Bible teaches. And most of us are so woolly. Well, I, well I'm not too sure. I might ask Pastor David when I see him. We know that in many and major ways they are wrong. Isn't it time that we were more certain and clear about what the Bible actually teaches and we were able to give clear arguments and answers to people? I want to be able to say to to a JW. Now this is what the Bible teaches and guess what? The most important thing is this and this is why I'm deeply concerned for you that you can know lots of stuff and some of it I think you may have right in some places but you are missing the big deal that if you do not believe in Jesus you will die in your sins. Mm. You know, that's, that, I've, I've managed that twice in a conversation to get to that point you know, and feel I've delivered my concern my, my passion that, you know, you you're so religious, you put so much effort into this and you're missing the big thing. We should have a clear view of our future hope in the coming of the Lord, our future inheritance in him. And we need to understand about the judgment of the world, that God will condemn evil and wickedness. We're to inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're going to endure in following and obeying him until that day of reward. So just two things to kind of amplify here. Number one, the kingdom of Jesus will increase. From his resurrection and ascension, Jesus has been reigning and his kingdom has been increasing. He, get it, 1 Corinthians 15, he must reign until every enemy is under his feet. The last will be death, meaning that he's finished his resurrection day. But every enemy, now, looking around the room, I'm looking at some people, you might like to think about yourself like this, but you were his enemies. And not only did Jesus defeat your sin and your condemnation and your judgment on the cross, he defeated you and won your heart and changed you from the inside out. We're (laughs) ex-enemies. You hath he reconciled by his blood, to quote Ephesians. So he's defeating his enemies, and for some of us that's really good news. I'm a defeated enemy. I've been broken, I've been shattered by his grace, and he's put me back together in a whole different way. His kingdom increases. Here's some more prophecy. We read this at Christmas time, don't we? Isaiah 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called. Now listen to this. Could this be a man? Could this just be a somebody? Some, even some great king of Israel? No. 
His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. But listen to this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. It will keep on growing. You can't stop it. Two of the, some of the places in the world where the persecution of Christians is most fierce now is certain areas of India, certain areas of the Arab world, and in Pakistan. And guess what? I've reports like this week, reports of places in India and in Pakistan where churches are being planted almost daily. Where some, some group of people have set out to plant one church and a year later they've planted 70. That's just a, one little bunch of guys. They just let's, This area needs Jesus. Let's go there. And they're now asking, some of them are asking people in the UK, including Elim, can you, can you come and give us some structure? Can you come and give us some foundations? Because we're good at evangelism, we don't know much else. <laughs> and I'm going, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. The kingdom of Jesus is advancing. But meanwhile, other emails tell me Christians are being killed. His kingdom shall increase. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You think I get passionate sometimes. Listen, that's nothing like the zeal of Jesus. To complete his kingdom. To gather all his people. He's zealous about it. The kingdom of Jesus grows despite opposition and resistance. Despite our foolishness and sinfulness. Despite our flailing around at times. It will continue to grow, even in our time and place. The church used to sing some great hymns. We've forgotten some of them nowadays. Here's one from early 1700s, Isaac Watts. Jesus shall reign, wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, stretch from shore to shore, till moons shall wax and wane. See, it was singing hymns like that and believing these things about the kingdom of Jesus that caused ordinary men and women, including a cobbler from Nottingham, whose name was William Carey, to go out and take nations with the gospel. Humble workman from Nottingham goes out to save a nation. He made a good start too. Being inspired that what we're in Yes, it's a mixed up, messed up world, but you know what? Jesus' kingdom is extending. Jesus' kingdom is advancing. And the, and, and the most fun you can have in this life is to be somewhere where you're on the edge of the kingdom. You know, people, people tell you, oh, we want to see more signs and wonders. And I say, why? And, and they, they have to think, well, because it would, it would bless us, or it would impress us. or they, they, They're struggling to say why. Listen, biblically, signs and wonders happen on the edge of the kingdom. As the gospel is being proclaimed, and you know, and you, you lay hands on the sick so they heal, so the people see this is real. Right. My goodness, that man's arm just grew. That's right. Amen. It's the kingdom advance where you where signs and wonders break out by the power of God. Yeah. So if you want to see signs and wonders, so you are entertained as a Christian, repent. And put yourself somewhere where you're right in the middle of where God is advancing his kingdom. Well, there's all kinds of mess and confusion, but God is at work. Because it's right there. I've been there myself. 
been there myself, been sent to, to somewhere to preach the gospel, wasn't expecting it, and, and, and on, on an overseas trip, and the sick people around, and someone nudges us, and myself and two couple of Americans, and nudges us, we don't want you to pray for them. So, oh, okay. Start to pray for them. God begins to heal them. Why? Because his kingdom's come. Nothing to do with me. It's his kingdom. Do you understand? You know? Don't go calling me the anointed servant. I can't do that. But he did. Why? Because he was impressing them with the power and the majesty and the kindness and the wisdom of his king. In other words, of himself. Pressing it upon them. He's a good God and a powerful God. (sighs) Let me give you some scriptures about how Jesus teaches about the growth of his kingdom. And I want you to notice in this that it's not all good news. It's not all good news. I haven't time to read the passages to you. The sower and the seed. Yes? Good seed. But not all the seed. The seed is good. Let me get it to you again. The seed is the gospel. It's the word of the kingdom. It's good. It's precious seed. But it doesn't always land on good soil. So not all the seed grows. And there are various returns even of fruitfulness amongst us. What's the difference? The quality of the soil. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that. We will get mixed responses and mixed outcomes to proclaiming the gospel. Some people will appear to believe for a while, but then fall away. You go go and read it. There's mixture. Get used to it, because Jesus told us it would be like that. It's not some strange thing. It's not unusual. He told us it would be like that. Next one. The tares, the weeds, which we've already read read earlier. right? Good and evil grow together to the last time. The end of the ages. Only final harvest separates that mixture. And again, as the Bible generally does, it emphasizes that the wicked are taken out from the righteous. Not the way you heard it. Growing seed. A man plants a seed and he could go there and look at it every day, but he's not going to grow faster because he's looking at it. I've done that in my garden. It doesn't work. But it grows. You, Jesus says you can't tell how it grows, but it grows because God makes it grow. So, and he's saying that's a picture of the kingdom of God. There's imperceptible. You can't see it. If you keep looking, you keep looking, you can't see it. But it, it is growing. And if you look far enough apart you know, in time, you see, oh, we've come from there to there. You, this has happened. But it is irresistible. It's imperceptible, but irresistible, this growth of the kingdom. The next one is the mustard seed. And he says it's the smallest seed. Well, it, it's not really, really, really tiny like some flower seeds, but it, it's, a, it's a vegetable seed. And it becomes a big tree, like three metres, ten feet, even as much as 15 feet high, from a tiny start. We know acorns grow great big oak trees down. But the birds of the air come and Put the nest there. Now we go, oh, that's nice. The birds have got somewhere to go. Birds of the air in Bible language is not good news. The birds of the air come and feast on dead bodies. The birds of the air come down and peck at people on crosses and, you know, whatever. Yeah? You, left, you, you know, your body isn't buried but left for dead after a battle. The, who's going to have it? The birds of the air. 
The birds of the air are not good news. The kingdom of God is so big and so great and it's got so much space in it that it even gets little pockets of evil at work within it. I think that's a pretty good description of the church today, to be honest. It's big. My goodness, it's big. But there's some, there's some naughty stuff going on yeah. in some corners. The birds of the air have found some places to nest. The leaven, yeast. This is, this is kind of altogether positive. Yeast is the same like the mustard seed. Uh, like like the, the seed that grows, you can't see, see how. Yeast, you can't watch yeast working through a, you know, a vat of beer or a loaf of bread, can you? Or, or, or a vat of wine. You can't, oh, it's getting in a microscopic. Yeah. Are you doing your work in there, yeast? You know, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. But it works through until you know, all of the carbohydrate that is available to them, until they kill themselves, basically. Yeast works until it's completed its whole work. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It'll just keep on going, like, like, like a steamroller. It'll just keep on going until it gets to the end result. You can't stop it. So when he taught us about the growth of the kingdom of God, and it will, go, it will grow, Jesus also told us to expect mixture, mess, opposition, maybe deception. He told us about false prophets and so as well. Infiltration. So we need to stop daydreaming about a life that is without pressure and challenges and opposition. We need to stop that daydream. Now here's the thing. When you're having a bad time, the devil will tell you, you're the only one like that, you know. Oh, everybody else is having a good time. You're having a terrible time. Do you ever hear that? Be honest. It's not true, is it? not true. But he's building on the fact that we've been sold this daydream about if it was what the Job's confidence said to Job, if you really knew God and loved God, you wouldn't be having any trouble. No, no, he wouldn't wouldn't let that happen to you. That's a lie. It's a lie. And it's a lie we still buy. I ought to be having it really easy. It ought to be really not. My life should be really nice. <laughs> and because it isn't, you think you're somehow the worst person on planet Earth and God's forgotten you and all the rest of it. Now I'm going to play you a clip by John Piper and well, which is better than what I'm saying, so I'll leave it to you. It's not true. No. You must, through much tribulation, inherit the kingdom of God. Our rest and our inheritance is ahead when the Lord comes. But he is taking us through. He's going to be with us through to the end. And we should learn to live with mixture and opposition in this reign of Jesus, these last days. He rules in the midst of his enemies and we too have to deal with enemies and opposition as his people. Because we are not greater than our master, it's enough for us that we become like our master. We're being made like him. He's reigning and things are in fact just as he said it would be. It isn't turning out wrong. It hasn't gone astray. It's turning out exactly how he said it would be. The seeds, the the tares. We seem to keep thinking that we'll get through to a place where we'll have no pressure, no problems, only peace. But that is not for this age. We can have seasons. You read about the early church in the book of Acts. They had seasons of pressure and seasons of peace. Now, you know, I'm looking forward to a season of peace. 
you know, and, and uh, that would be really, really nice. But, you know, if, if we stayed there, we'd get comfortable and complacent. We'd be like a Samson and say, I know what I'm doing. I know how this works. So God has to allow some pressure back into our lives to get us back on course and get us back praying and get us back seeking him. Let's not wish our lives away waiting for what can't be until after the last day. When all evil and mixture and opposition and deception and devilish intrigue and our own sin is purged away forever. We are here to deal with life as it is. Not daydream about what we would like it to be. And the difficulties we encounter are, as Peter writes in one of his letters, not some strange thing that's happening to us. We should know that to expect this. We've been told in the Bible about it. They're part of our journey. They're part of our warfare in Jesus. But his kingdom will grow. His kingdom will increase. Here's another old hymn. Not quite as old as the early one, but. How many of you know him that starts the first verse, My heart and voice I raise to sing Messiah's praise? Three of us, okay. Here's, I think it's the closing verse. Hail, Saviour, Prince of Peace, thy kingdom shall increase till all the world thy glory see and righteousness abound as they great deep profound and fill the earth with purity. His kingdom will increase. You can rely upon that. But there's a little thing to add here. And we're done. We've finished this. His kingdom grows as we grow. His kingdom grows as we grow. That's why we get to pray that pattern prayer every day. Father in heaven, honoured be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if I'm praying it on my own, that's about his kingdom growing in me. If I'm praying with other people, we're praying for one another and that we together as church see his kingdom growing, extending, increasing. But if we stop growing, his kingdom stops growing with us, but it'll grow somewhere else. With someone else. For his kingdom to grow in Harlow, we must grow. Our vision, our statement, our mission statement is to see the increase of the quantity and quality of Christians in Harlow. Why? Because Jesus will be more honoured when there are more of us and we are doing better as his followers than we were before. He'll be more honoured. His kingdom will increase in that way. But people don't come to faith without someone explaining the gospel to them, generally. People don't grow as disciples without someone helping them and baptising them and so on. For his kingdom to grow around us, we need to grow as kingdom people. Let me give you this harder way around. If God changes the world without us, it's because he used someone else instead. We read in Psalm 110, your people will be willing in the day of your power. Or was it something? Your people will be willing in the day of your power. Authority. God is always looking for willing people. Daniel Daniel wrote, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to, to show himself strong on behalf of those who seek him. He's looking for those that he can turn up and help. Because they're looking for it. They're asking for it. Where, 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 can I, where can I see more of your kingdom today, Lord? God's eager to be with and to help those who are seeking first his kingdom. But if we opt out, we see it happen without us. 
You know, some people in human life grow to be eight feet tall or more, and it's usually because there's some fault with their pituitary gland, even a tumour. It's tragic when a human being can't stop growing. But the problem with many of us Christians is that we stopped growing a long time ago. God made us to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep being changed, to become more like his son. That's why life keeps throwing these things at us. How are you growing? In grace, in faith, in obedience, in serving, in giving, in generosity, in responsibility. When we get back to Hebrews, Hebrews 6 says, by now some of you should be, more of you should be teachers. It doesn't mean everybody's having a turn at preaching and, you know, it takes all day because everybody's having a go at preaching. It means that we should be able to take responsibility for instructing some people around us. Encouraging, instructing, explaining, discipling. We've grown in responsibility. Other people who look to us and get help from us. Scripture nowhere commends us for staying the same, for not growing. Perhaps some of us are stuck. Now, I don't want you to tell me how old you are or how busy you are. Because only the Lord himself can say, I don't change. The rest of us do. And the trouble that we endure is for our good. Our growth in faith, in hope, in love, in character and endurance. And therefore the growth of our future reward too. Let's not forget that. To him who overcomes, to him who endures. I will give a crown of life and so on. We grow through our troubles. And the kingdom of Jesus grows even through troubles and distresses thrown against his people. Jesus reigns, let's say it again, in the midst of his enemies. And so do we. We can overcome trials and testings and crises and pressures in and through him. Looking to the day when all our troubles will be passed. And we will see him. And be we like him. So we come back again to these words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. When we do so, we are not just tidying up the loose ends of a day. We are actually living for eternity. We are handling issues of final judgment and destiny and of our future reward. We're investing in an inheritance which cannot be taken away from us. We are are looking forward to a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We're living for eternity. When we make the kingdom of God our priority. But he will find people who will do that. Because he will have people who will progress his kingdom in this world.